You're listening to The John DePietro Show. State Senator Jessica De La Cruz put out the following on the platform X, formerly known as Twitter. Today, my office filed an APRA request with the Rhode Island Department of Corrections. Find out how and why a Guatemalan national, an alleged child rapist, was released from ACI custody disregarding a timely and lawful immigration detainer on the accused. She also put out, thankfully, uh, Boston uh, ICE apprehended the suspect, but how many of our most vulnerable were preyed on in the 10 months since the detainer was ignored? So access to public records, she has this up, uh, State of Rhode Island, Office Legal Counsel. I request the following documents, anything related to that, would like it within 10 days, Senate Minority Leader, Jessica De La Cruz. Now, granted, she posted this or was posted for her regardless, but nonetheless, it became public 15 hours ago. Let's check in with some of the media coverage on it. Now, I'm unaware if they sent out any type of press release on it. I mean, I picked up on her social media account, but let's just log on channel 10 21st anniversary station nightclub fire uh rhode island state police made a history record drug and weapons bust ripped is going to hold meetings about route changes in Pawtucket. uh you had the guy that tried to robbery a bank in swansea that was interesting they even had a a u-haul that then they burned and they had a, a second vehicle the switch car that they made it into but I don't see, um, I don't see, and then you still have, I believe there's still Burville police is still looking for the, the guy that took off from them. And by all accounts, I think his name's Tyler Perry. They uh, still have not located him. That guy needs to get an attorney and go surrender immediately uh, for his own good. For my good, I hope he doesn't. And then I'm out there on the scene live stream when then they are able to catch up to him. But as I'm looking at this, I don't understand why um, no one's covering that. And it should be covered. It warrants coverage. I'll say that. I mean, I've been <clears throat> sometimes critical of um, the, the Republican lack of their response. I'd like to think that because I'm highlighting their reaction on things that, that maybe that's maybe putting a little pressure on them. We do know there have been some press problems at the ACI. But folks, one of the the situations that comes into play that I have talked about is, as Terry Terry Gorman mentioned yesterday, it started under Governor Chafee, it continued under Raimondo, and it's gone to another level under Governor McKee, and that is that Rhode Island officials coming from the office of the governor encourage different agencies not to cooperate with immigration, with ICE, uh, Immigration Custom Enforcement. And so you say, how can they do that? They do it. Cicilline had different ways. Instead of just emailing various things, they would fax it over to them and they would fax certain information days later. Can you imagine, like, who in this day and age still uses fax machines? But the point is, I want to commend State Senator Jessica De La Cruz. She should be getting coverage on this. She is doing the right thing. The Republican Party needs to embrace this. The Republican Party stance in the past, <clears throat> for lack of a better phrase, but it's been a little mamby-pamby, 
and I don't understand. They're fearful. I actually do. I, I know the theory why they don't. And I'm telling you that it's, I believe it's a failed theory. And the theory is that they, they feel that they may lose uh, the Hispanic vote if, in fact, they bring up the subject of illegal immigration. So they say this has been the theory of the past few years, um, several years now. I fundamentally disagree with it, and I think it's failed. But they feel, well, we're not going to get votes in places like Providence, Pawtucket, Central Falls if you bring up the immigration issue. Here's the spoiler alert. You're not going to get votes there anyway, but you will get more votes outside of those areas. And I think they'd actually be surprised how many votes in those areas they get. This is my point with the Rhode Island Republican Party, of which the past few years, by the way, that's the first notion I've seen anyone take. I I would hope that um, House Minority Leader Mike Chippendale might do this thing, same thing and follow up as far as the House, unless, I don't know if they hand off and now it's just like a Senate thing. Um, and and I, I can understand that. I'm not criticizing that. I'm saying I don't know if, if he feels, well, I don't need to do it because she did it. But, folks, I want to be very clear. I, I'm not trying to blame everything, all the problems in the state. I'm not trying to blame everything on illegal immigration. I'm not saying that. That's not part of it. It doesn't come into a lot of the problems that exist. My, my issue is when there's various problems that arise, it shouldn't be left out of the conversation because there are things that impacts, such as the amount of time that, it, that the emergency rooms at the hospital, the wait. Rhode Island is ranked 49th in the country. Median wait time of four hours if you go to an emergency room. I'm not saying the absolute cause is illegal immigration. I'm saying that when you're discussing that problem, it should at least, it warrants a mention. The problems in the schools, the expense of the schools, the failure of many of the schools. I'm not blaming that all on illegal immigration. I'm I'm arguing at least it, it warrants a mention when you're talking about it. And it, it stands to reason. When you take a number of students and they're called multi-language learners, which means they don't speak English, the um, of course it's going to throw off your your scores it's also going to throw off learning in the classroom if you have a number of students in the classroom that don't speak english so i'm not saying it's the cause but i'm saying it's not even mentioned when they're talking about some of the problems the expense of education it absolutely should be mentioned now dan mcgowan has a piece in roadmap that the amount of uh, providence teachers that are retiring and they're leaving <clears throat> the Pro providence needs to close some of the schools the teachers unions refusing to you don't need all that space providence has some schools that they're only at 30 to 40 percent of occupancy you don't need that and therefore you don't need all those all the staff it's it's too that john hopkins report that talked about one of the problems in the providence schools it's too adult centric everything revolves around what's good for the adults nothing what's good for the children you, you don't need all those schools and on top of that if people started to break it down and really started to realize how much it cost and it's over you know it's over 100 million where we're educating children that are here illegally with their parents 
But the teachers union feel, hey, as long as we have jobs, let the taxpayers pick it up. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. AJ, drywall, plaster, home improvement, call them today for a free quote. You can also find them on Facebook, 401-323-9252. 323-9252, AJ, drywall, plasters, home improvement, frame to finish basements. What a difference it'll make in your basement. Acoustic ceilings. Look how beautiful your ceiling could be. New homes, additions, also commercial rehabs, painting, remodeling contact them today it's a family-run business aj drywall plaster home improvements call for a free quote what a difference they'll make in your home your ceilings floors basements 401-323-9252 what a difference beautiful walls and ceilings 401-323-9252 you can also find them on facebook it's AJ Drywall Plaster and Home Improvements for your home or business. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics This Week. Joining us, he is the managing editor, AnchorRising.com. It is Justin Katz. And Justin, I want to um, start off our conversation. This, as we're learning more, it's actually kind of comical. The um, financing for the Tidewater Soccer Stadium, uh, it, it defies logic other than it has nothing to do with, as you and I have really talked about. But it, to me, it has nothing to do with the interest of soccer. I'll even say, okay, it's a different idea. It's a novel idea. You don't want to do a minor league baseball team. Maybe there's some interest, but $10,000 stadium. But the financing of how much the state is actually going to put into bonds in order to come up with the $27 million, and, and the costs continue to skyrocket. It is, uh, well, it got national attention with Bloomberg writing about it. And and it's it's hard to fathom that this is actually this whole project, you know, continues to move forward. Well, it is. And I'm, I think it's one of those things that, Everybody knows, you know, just everybody knows it's not about soccer. It's not no. about uh, even economic development. It's about the politics of it. It's about paying off the unions. It's about creating an opportunity for high yield, very safe bonds for uh, insider investors and banks. That's what it's about. And, you know, it becomes it becomes comical because everybody knows when these things are announced, this is going to be more expensive than you think. And you're taking a lot of risk when you agree to these things that things will get worse. And they have. Interest has gotten worse than people expected. And the problem with, with government is the people involved making the decisions have no skin in the game. What's, what's the worst that happens to McKee? Okay. He doesn't get reelected. Whatever. You know, he, he keeps going on. He'll keep... If he plays his cards right, he'll get some slush from the unions for what they'll keep gathering. The union heads won't have any trouble at all taking the money. They Everybody's bought in. The media will never catch on because they don't want to start going after the unions. And so that's that's what's what's really frustrating about it. You get these moments of opportunity for clarity. It's like the when the sun pokes through the clouds at the end of the perfect storm and it, the, the, the boat sinks anyway. You know, that's kind of what it is. You get this impression of, wow, that's... We're we're what we're we're paying four times the cost of the money we're giving them. That doesn't make much sense. But then everybody goes about their lives because nobody wants to really dig into it. 
And it's why we, we ought to avoid we ought to avoid these problems, particularly with, with property values as they are. I mean, we've locked up this area now for this project that's going to take a lot of taxpayer funds. And guess what? That's not going to be where anywhere we can put, say, housing on that property. You know, it's, it's just the whole mentality of going after of, of these projects is, is completely wrong. And it'd be nice if if our politicians had to start at least at least offering some some explanation for their thinking. What was interesting about this and a lot of people actually are busy and they don't pay attention to all the details, but this was supposed to be initially, it was going to revitalize the whole area. But you go back to that. It was July of 2022. McKee had the, had the primary in September and they had that commerce board meeting where to me, they leveraged some people not to vote. And then he was the deciding vote. But as I have talked about, and you and I have talked about, that was the same day that Governor McKee received the endorsement from the AFL-CIO, and George Nee sat next to him at the Commerce Board meeting and voted for this project, just that it was, it was a conflict of interest. But my question to you is, do you think, could the Republican Party do more to shine a light and really go to town on this? Like, that's a complete, a blatant conflict of interest. This is not about a soccer stadium. It's giving to me uh, organized labor in the unions that just gave them a huge expensive project 150 million to 200 million dollar project but could the republican party at least go after them on it well you know i think they they can and they should although you know i the media could too right and i think the fact that the media is not means that republicans might not get a lot of traction going after it and what's what's really needed is for somebody to to dig in to to trace all the money to make it really clear and obvious and and easy to understand for, as you mentioned, people are busy. Just make it easy to understand. So when they look at this right. eye-popping number, you're financing this at four times the cost of, of your of what, of your principal. You know, when people see that, they say, wait, that doesn't look right. There has to be an easy next step. And that is because X, Y, Z. And then that's that's how you build the story. The problem we have, and, it, it, you know, the Republicans are the, sort of the knife's edge of this, but it's a, it's a broader problem for all of Rhode Island, is we don't have the institutional incentive for somebody to spend that time, to take that risk of time and effort, yeah. digging in, Doing really, it's it's not always easy to understand how these deals are working, who's connected to whom, who's actually profiting. That takes time to work out and explain and develop. And there's just not any. Our media won't do it because they, they they don't want to find the the rot that they would if they dug into it. And there's there's nobody with the 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 concentrated interest to fund such a thing. And there are only so many people who can be volunteers. And I, I've seen a huge drop off in that sort of volunteerism in Rhode Island. I mean, 15 years ago, there was, there were, there were competing organization, good government yes. organizations. I mean, there were more than one and they were, they were all trying to outdo themselves with their good government activity. They're all gone, all of them, except I, I guess you could say the Rhode Island center for freedom and prosperity, but they're, they're kind of more into a podcast now, you know, there's not a lot of, of, material being generated in that regard and that's that's a big problem and I, so i think the republicans couldn't should make a big deal out of this but i just don't know how much how much effort they're able to to pull into it and how much uh how much it's really worth it for them if the media is just going to ignore them anyway i just mentioned them simply because there's no business community seemingly that is pushing back um <laughs> now justin uh, peter alvidi a uh, member of the McKee administration and a third person they were at the state house last week this was the oversight hearing I think it took about three hours. I'm curious to hear some of your thoughts on how you think that went. 
Well, I I think uh, Dan McGowan had took him to task over it, rightly so. Yes. I mean, it was it was kind of the same. Yeah, you know, it was it was it was interesting that you you could say Alvidi showed more empathy than Governor McKee has shown for the problems this is causing. And that's true. And Dan, McGee, uh, Dan McGowan does say that. And then as, as McGowan goes on to say, but everything else is a problem. And the problem is we've got this situation where the, the top guy, the governor, is worse than the bad DOT director right. who's, who's just being evasive, who, who isn't, uh, isn't really offering answers. And, you know, if, it's yeah this was horrible and i'm sorry but hey we've done everything else we've done is perfectly good and we're doing so well with all the other bridges and uh, that's that's a that's a line that shouldn't work but again it's very much like the tidewater issue nobody wants to dig into it nobody wants to go to that next step i mean uh, even even mcgowan he wasn't didn't go there i mean it, we need to start asking: Is there something structurally wrong here? You know, I think that's that's part of the problem. You get these these people like Alvidi and even McKee out there in a hearing, and they're just answering questions for a while, and they're evasive and they're this and they're that. And we blame them, uh, and it's almost like our elections are just a way to choose our scapegoats or the people who are going to have to go through that gauntlet. But we need to ask: Is there something structurally wrong here? Does something have to be done with the structure of the way we do policy and our workforce and? all of that. And, and is there some blame to fall on Rhode Island voters in the way we vote? I mean, this is not a new problem. Alvidi has just inherited. I mean, at least maybe he's sincere that he he's up late at night and wakes up in the morning all stressed out. And kind of, I hope he is. And, you know, that, that's, that's fine. That's a, a kind of a baseline minimum. But we really have to start digging in and saying, what are the, what are the real problems? And so a hearing, a legislative hearing, you know, what the people asking the questions are part of the problem, you know. So we're in this this hard hard situation where everybody we've tasked to to fix the problems has an interest in not fixing the problems, and I, I that that's that's what strikes me during these these kind of kind of show hearings where the person goes out there and isn't answering the right questions because the right questions aren't being asked. The um, representative Mike Chippendale, uh, representative John Breen, uh, Solomon. I mean, they did sit there and answer questions for three hours. Was there anyone that you thought made, made made any headway, or you think anyone was going down the right path? Well, look, I mean, I I know from the hearings and from social media as well, and, and other statements from those like the Republicans and the Independents that you've mentioned, uh, Brian and and uh, Chippendale and others, they they've got their heads in the right place, but they're not. You know, what's frustrating is they're not really gaining gaining traction and they're not really, you know, they'll, they'll ask some questions. They can be batted away. Um, I think Ken Block had a good, good commentary on, on LVD's appearance on, on, on radio. I think it was uh, where, you know, the key line from Ken Block was that he answers questions in a way that seems plausible on the surface to busy people who don't know what, what he's talking about. But if you, the moment you dig into it, you get nowhere. And so, uh, or it's all it's phony or fake or just just fluff. And I think that's the kind of the attitude I have with these hearings is you need that, you know, the Republicans will sit there and it's 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 almost like the show of politics, right? They go around the table and everybody gets to say something and and maybe you make the guy uncomfortable and you score a point. Uh, but there's there's no follow up. You need the chairman. <laughs> you need the speaker of the House. You need the Senate president to be the one saying, Mr. Alvidi, is there something more serious going on here? You know, that's what 
that's what I mean when I say that the questions aren't being asked. Is uh, I guess they're, they're not being asked by the the right people. Otherwise, it's it's just a show, and it, it you know it goes out there. You might as well just go on the radio and answer a couple callers who ask tough questions. You know, so it's because nothing, nobody with any authority is actually going to do anything about it. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, right here on the John DePietro Show. AEP Services. They take great pride installing fences of all kinds. Vinyl, wood, aluminum, chain link. Experience, quality, integrity. Call AEP Services today for a quality fence. Home or business, 401-228-7190. 401-228-7190. Residential fence, commercial fence, steel, wood guard, rail, they have it all. Beautiful aluminum product, decorative landscape. It adds a lot to it for your stunning property. Call the experts today, AEP Services, 401-228-7190. Residential or commercial, why not enjoy your backyard, a little privacy, or maybe keep a pet or young children inside. Remember, they also have fences. They're resilient, water-resistant. Call today, 401 228 7190 free quote AEP services the fence experts 401 228 7190 our segment is politics this week with us is Justin Katz managing editor anchorising.com Justin I want to stay on <clears throat> Ken Block uh for those that are I think a lot of people are familiar with him he's run for governor he ran in 2010 on the moderate party unsuccessful 2014 he lost to the primary in Alan Punk he He's very knowledgeable, been very outspoken about some of the things that were going on in Warwick. He has a new book out uh, regarding he was, in fact, involved. He knows a lot about how to find fraud, computer analysis. What is your um, – I think it's an interesting dynamic that he has ventured in to this area regarding the bridge. And granted, he's he's using his platform of social media, but I'm, I'm curious to, to hear your thoughts um, you know, Ken is very well researched. He's been around. He's he's not an elected official, but I am cu- curious to hear more of your thoughts on on Ken Block getting trying to get involved with this whole bridge fiasco. Well, I, I, Ken's an interesting interesting character, and, and I, yeah. I he I, I admire a lot of what he does, and his head's in the right place. I mean, he, he is analytical. He is will follow logic. I think he, he and I probably disagree on a lot of a lot of you know, basic social and, and political uh, foundations, but. You know, so he he and he does get upset when people are lying and cheating, uh, and that that's all a good thing. But I think what's what's interesting is he did put a lot of effort into you know as you as you indicated he he started a party he yeah. ran for governor he, he yeah. even even compromised and ran as a Republican right I mean and that's something that a lot of people uh, who are are kind of in their gut Democrats just wouldn't do because they bought into the partisan lines. I mean, he, he tried to push some of those, those good government groups I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, and so he's, he's been involved, but what's, what's frustrating is you, as you say, he, he's working on social media, you know, he, he's a guy with a lot of talent and a lot of money for himself and he, he can only do so much, right? It's we are, what we need is a whole bunch of people with kind of, it shouldn't be so rare that somebody with, with some level of analytical skills like Ken is digging into this and, and, and commenting on it. This ought to be, there ought to be columns, right? We don't, once upon a time, he would have been writing a month, a monthly or weekly column for the Providence journal, which everybody in the state would have read. Right. Uh, that's, that's, or everybody who, 
who's involved in politics would have read. And that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I think that that's that's what's part of the frustration of, and the problem we, we face is there there just isn't. It's not even that we don't have enough Ken Blocks. It's that we don't have enough support when we do have a Ken Block. Uh, and I think that's that's part of it. But I think his the way he digs in and actually looks at looks at the truth of the matter you know saying well alvidi said there was paint on this over from the when they painted the other bridge but that's impossible there are so many there's so many rafters or, or girders between them etc you know just just those sorts of clear-eyed explanations it's kind of it's good that there's a twitter out there but it's such a, a siloed medium uh, that yes. that that ought to be ought to be more broadly known but there's just not the the media or information infrastructure in the state to do that anymore. They're really not. You're right. And, and if anything, you know, in some ways, his, he uses social media the way people used to read the, the Providence Journal. People send me stuff he posts on Facebook. I wish there was more of the business community kind of galvanizing behind him because he's really could almost serve as the voice of the Providence Chamber of Commerce if we actually had one instead of someone that's kind of in cahoots with them. I'll just finally say this about these oversight hearings, Justin. I, to me, this was about they wanted to send Alvidi up there to basically get beat up for three hours and just keep saying he's sorry. Um, and I, I have said, I, I think it's irrelevant whether or not he's sorry. Like, that should have no bearing. I don't care if he's crying or snarky about it. The situation is a situation. But if McKee was serious about being a leader, he should have walked in there and sat next to him and taken the bows and arrows for for three hours. But other than that, they didn't offer They just kept saying, we don't have that. The engineers have that. We don't have that. And it was like, you just have to kind of get pummeled for, for three hours. Now, Justin, I also want to get your thought. This was a story that uh, I believe, and folks, again, our segment is politics this week. Um, in Rhode Island, the Republican Party just won't embrace this issue. I have no idea why. I even, nothing against that. I said to Gary Leonard, try to make immigration an issue in the CD1 race, wouldn't do it. The Republican Party, Susie Yankee, they never will touch it. But Fox did a story how an illegal from Guatemala who was a felony child molester was arrested. ICE was aware of him, contacted the ACI, put a holder on him and said, do not let that person go. And then, you know, the ACI under the McKee administration let him go. But then ICE was able to grab him. Now they have him in their custody. People suddenly started sparking up. Uh, because it became suddenly a national story and Fox picked up on it. And by the way, ICE put out a press release. They were so upset about it. But I want to get your thoughts on what is it that our local media, you can't find any stories on this, whether it's 10, 12, the journal. And basically, there's no talk about it at the Rhode Island State House. Well, I think the, they're all scared. I mean, it, it cuts yeah. right to the right to the heart of their, their sore points where, they, where they've been whipped and sometimes self-flagellated uh, on this kind of progressive ideology. They, it's, it's really become like a mental illness. And you could almost picture the people at the ACI like, yeah, let's, don't call ICE. That's, we don't do that around here because they're all right. mega Republican type right. people. I mean, it, 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 I mean, I'm just imagining it, but that's the culture that, that I think permeates a lot of our institutions here. And that, that also permeates the news media. They don't want to find that there's a problem with an open border for three years. They just don't want to find it. Uh, and, and in part because they all, I think, deep down know that this is, a, on the whole, this is a benefit to their party, the Democrat Party. On the whole, this is going to create new opportunities for government services, which is what they think ought to, everything ought to be uh, organized around. And so they don't want to, they don't want to, 
disrupt the boat, right? It's it's almost like every, some sometimes you'll see those stories on social media about, uh, say, the the transgender activist who was just arrested for child molestation. You don't see those stories either because it, they don't want it to be part of the story. They they want it to be oh that that's just you know that'll happen now and then, but that's not representative. Uh, that's just you know a fluke. So so don't give that any any air. And I think that's what we see here. But it's it's not a fluke. I mean, we also have the the story of the the three women and the guy and the, the dead baby, and they tried yes. they tried to skip the state before yeah. the funeral. I mean, that's that that's we, that's two stories in what a week. So we're not talking about just this isolated. Oh wow, that was a that was a strange one. Well, put that aside. That's not going to happen again. When we don't want the we don't want to give any ammo to the crazy racists on the right. You know that, and I think that's that attitude is just so so dangerous. But you know, it's not unlike the unwillingness to dig into the the Washington Bridge fiasco, Good right? Point. It's not. It's not. I mean, that's there's just there are these places they will not go because they they are we've reached the point that everybody with power in the state is aligned on a, on these kind of core progressive and labor union issues and they they can't step out of it because what's going to happen they'll be relegated to to the the hinterlands like like me <laughs> or you you know the, oh, the, don't, don't be like those people you know you, you're 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 one of us you know I, I think that's that's really that's the attitude there is and it's, it's going to be it, it's going to be increasingly dangerous if they don't because you'll keep people people will pick up on this fact and they'll start to ask questions like hey why have i not heard about this and as they as and there's nothing worse i think for kind of the the cascade what's called the preference cascade where everybody suddenly realizes they've been lying to they've, everybody's been lying to each other uh, where when you start digging into it and you go oh wow that you know that was a that was strange that they let that guy go, and then you do a little bit of searching, and you come across the story of the the baby killing family, and then oh wait, that's weird, and then there's going to be another one, and then another, and then you you start it start to starts to unravel, and I think that's where, uh, you, in some ways, it's hopeful because people's minds can change if they discover that thread, but on the, on the other hand, it'd be a lot a lot better and a lot more stable for our, our entire community if we would just honestly address these problems and, and the positives and negatives. Hey, if we conclude we still want Providence to be a sanctuary city, then, you know, that's up to the voters there, but they should have full information as they're making the decisions. Yeah. I think that's a, a red hearing only because Justin, what I look at it is it's, it's unenforced laws. If, if you have a road where people can drive 90 miles an hour and then you say to the, you know, the, the police, uh, what's the speed limit there? Oh, 55, but if it's not enforced, then it might as well be 90 miles an hour. If someone were saying to Governor McKee, Do, is this a sanctuary state? Oh, no, we're not a sanctuary state. But when you have across the board that they don't cooperate with ICE uh, and they allow it to operate as a sanctuary state, then that's you basically are one, whether or not yeah. you're acknowledging it. You also had the 14-year-old girl in Cranston walking to Cranston East, 10 of 8 in the morning, and a guy tried to grab her speaking Spanish. You look at the photo. There's another one. Um I mean, it, it's rampant, but it's the it's the unenforced law, which to me is the equivalent of almost like, you know, not not having one, even though if then put to the test, um, there, there's no difference. I want to leave it at this for the break. If someone is arrested and they happen to be illegal, there's no difference the way they're treated. In, like they'll all say, oh, you know, Providence might be, but there's no difference the way they're treated in Providence or Central Falls or Pawtucket or Warwick or Warren or Tiverton, it's all the same across the board. So they are actually running one. 
but they they will just when if a microphone's put in front of them, they would say, "Oh no, we 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 don't do that." Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, right here on the John DePietro Show. <laughs> Do you need a good plumber? I found the best plumber. JMB Plumbing. Call them today. All your plumbing needs. 401 743 9153. JMB Plumbing. They've been providing plumbing services for years. Skilled professionals stand behind their work. Guarantee you will be happy. Maybe it's repairing damaged water pipes, repair clogged pipelines, maybe replace a a water heater, as well as all your plumbing needs. Call them now. It's JMB Plumbing, 401-743-9153. Nothing throws off your life or your home or your business. When you need plumbing service, you need someone reliable, someone who's professional, someone who'll handle the job and do it right. It's JMB Plumbing. Call them today. 401-743-9153, JMB Plumbing, and look for them on Facebook. Our segment is Politics This Week with us, Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Justin, Channel 6, they've had their struggles. I see some of the people out there, they've really had heavy turnover in the past couple of years, especially the last year. Um, I don't even see a lot of the reporters out there. A lot, of, Well, sometimes they do, but most of the time it's just a photog. But suddenly on Friday, they're kind of ignored by local media. And, and um, suddenly on Friday, they're getting a lot of attention. And suddenly it was because Kelly Bates, who's ended up there, has announced that she's going to try to unionize the people at Channel 6, who I'm just curious your thought. To me, there was a, an excitement almost in local media, like, look at that. That's great. They're going to has nothing to do with product. Or where they do in the ratings, which has really fallen. There was suddenly excitement about them, not for peace that they did, but just because they were maybe going to unionize. Yeah, it, it looked to me like the sign of the end of ABC Six News in in Rhode Island. I mean, that, yeah. that a union will put that network, that station, out of business. That's that's all there is to it. I mean, they're not they're not producing. They gen, they already generate less content than their right. competitors. It's not like this is growth. I mean, we. We periodically talk about the the unions' attempts to uh, to organize the coffee shops, uh, and that I think I think in that case it's a bad thing as well. But at least there, it's kind of a growth industry, right? You, there's there's some argument that the if if unions can organize growth industries, then at least they'll at least they'll ensure that some of the growth goes to to the, the working staff and doesn't get sucked up by investors or, or the bosses or all that. There's at least a case to be made. In this case, you're talking about a declining a business model and a declining network. And I think when that unionizes, it, it almost feels like, well, we're, we're going to put some, some stakes in the ground. So when the investors and the businesses, the corporation move out of this business, or try to pull out of this business, we can at least grab some stuff from them on their way out. I mean, that's what it starts to feel like. There's no, you know, you, you hear we're, we're organizing. Oh, well, all right. But what have you been doing to, make it grow. I mean, shouldn't that be kind of first, maybe, maybe start putting out some new stuff. I mean, when you, when you're in that situation, you need, when you're in a situation where you're the, the third in the market, a small market in a declining business model, you've got to innovate. 
what you need is people saying, you know what, I I know I'm not getting paid as much as I should, but I believe in this place. I want to I want to help build it, and so I'm going to do extra work. I'm not going to follow a contract. I'm not going to try to force you to give me more days off. I'm going to try to make this work, and that's that's kind of what a I think an organization in ABC Six's situation needs, and and they're they're getting the opposite. I think it it really does indicate a, a, a be careful who you hire kind of. Yeah. Uh, the message because if you bring in somebody to, to your declining business who, who says hey i'm here to organize you're, you're in real trouble i think it'll be the death knell they may just pull the plug and then there is no local you know local news they could just then start to run like boston news and so forth speaking of when you mentioned it is kind of funny justin uh like the, kind of the cool kids table everything goes back to high school I said to you, you know, Joe Paolino, who has that program at ABC six on Sunday mornings. But uh, this week's guest is Pat Crowley. You can kind of see where then someone hits the circuit where they're on Newsmakers, they're on Lively Experiment. Now they're on Paolino. It's kind of like who's in, who's out. Um, and, and Crowley, who by all accounts, I mean, you and I, we know his reputation. He's now made it as like the acceptability of uh, that he gets to appear and. And it's polar opposites. Um, it's really in, in, remarkable that someone like Joe Paolino, who, you know, still tries to run a family, family run business and uh, that then having someone who up to him, he would, you know, put every private business out of business. Oh, sure. And, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, but I, I have a feeling if you dug through Pat Crowley's past products things he's written or said i'm sure you'll find some things where he he painted joe paolino as a right-wing lunatic and the, the danger to the working people of rhode island it, but you know he he's worked his way through labor uh, and labor in rhode island has has no concern for how it appears anymore and that, that's it's his 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 elevation kind of proves that and so you know in in fairness to joe paolino and all the rest crowley is a significant player in rhode island i mean it, i don't like it and i think it's horrible for the state but but it's a fact and you know it's you know it's, it's sort of like the, the devil doesn't just knock you over he makes you do a dance in your own skin and smile while he tortures you and that's that's i think what we're, we're going to be seeing to to anybody in in rhode island media who has any suspicions about uh, organized labor as, as the likes of pat crowley take charge and i think it it ties right back again to why nobody wants to dig into the real reasons we have infrastructure problems or education problems or immigration problems because they they know if they start digging into this, if they start treating Pat Crowley as something other than the nice local union head, uh, they'll they'll be out of a job or or, or worse, <laughs> they, can, they could be run out of the state. So I think that's that's got to be on all their minds, and I hope. Uh, I hope secretly they're they're taking actions to adjust their behavior uh, and maybe make some positive change for the state. But I don't think so. I think everybody's just probably going to hold on to their positions for deal life. It's kind of like being admitted to like a club or private club or a country club. Like, welcome yeah. to the, you know, welcome. Uh, Justin, some of the headlines, Providence City Council highest former East Providence clerk who fabricated a resume of all the people that would maybe love a job like this. It is uh, it defies reason. I'm, I am glad the Boston Globe reported on it. This woman fabricated a resume, was fired from East Providence, and then suddenly, boom, here she is uh, that she's going to be hired by the Providence City Council. Yeah, it does make you wonder who who she knows. right? I mean, why would they why would they even take the risk of, of hiring somebody who, who's gotten attention for for that sort of thing? I, I will say it. I having not really dug into the story 
and I, I don't think anybody has necessarily gotten all the details, but I will say I've been in some situations in, in government and, and other private sector organizations where you look at somebody who's, who's been hired and ask why, and, and the answer is honest and genuine of you should have seen the other options. And so there's always yeah, that possibility that there's just, there's just nobody else to do it. Uh, but I, then again, you know, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thing we ought to know, right? It shouldn't just be quietly hire somebody who's obviously got potential to be controversial. I, I mean, we, if that's the case, we need to start knowing why are you hiring people like this? Is it because there is nobody else out there? And I think that's that's perhaps a story we haven't heard yet. Um, anyone that wonders if the teachers union's power has been diminished, uh, students and parents packed a school board meeting trying to save their high school. Police were called to the meeting. Justin, no one focuses on the fact that it's the, the school is under capacity totally underperforming they're just going to send the kids instead of getting on the bus and going left they're going to get them on the bus and go right instead the story becomes police were called these parents are rallying you, you and i both know it's the same playbook this is all the union because they're afraid that means uh the teachers many of the staff that work at the school would lose their job that's really the motivating factor here it is well i think <laughs> To, to, your, to your first your first point, the one of the great lines I saw was, was one of the teachers saying, many of my students call this a second home. Okay, well, you're saying that, <laughs> but, but, but where are they? So you're right, it's, it's the, the, the union line. And I, I think it, it's almost more, I think, than just having, having a, a, the teachers in that school lose their jobs and having the union lose that little bit of leverage. I, I think it's more than that. I think it's it comes down to accountability. They do yeah. not want there to be any, and it, you know, having having fought for school choice for quite a bit in the last de decade, you know, that's that's what the school choice movement's all about is accountability. You can right. lose your uh, you can lose your school if you're not competitive because we can't keep kids in a failing school. So we'll try to take it over if you can't get your act together, then we're going to have to close you. That's that's what it comes down to. The school was failing and they you got to close it. At some point, you've got to just, you, you've got to be able to just pull the plug and, and say, look, you're not performing. This isn't working. We got to find something else. Every year, there are kids entering and exiting this school system. We can't tie them up while you pretend you're going to try to get your act together in the future. And I think that's that's what it comes down to. They don't want there to be any accountability they want it to just be a jobs program just money flowing through if we fail it means you didn't give us enough money so i yeah. failed give me more money i think that's that's the attitude they want to cultivate and i think that's that's what this is and you don't you don't get those questions and we come right back to the everybody involved being in on the game and so you don't get those that sort of questioning from the news media like well wait a second what do you think should be the consequences and every now and then people will talk about uh, Massachusetts wonderful schools. I think they're on a decline, but they're still, you know, number one or so in a country by many measures. Part of their reform from the '90s was was real strict accountability. If if you're failing, we're going to do standardized testing. It's not just the standardized testing, just so we can all gawk at you and say you're failing. It's if you're failing, you. The state will take you over or somebody else will take you over. Kids get to start choosing and leaving your school and you lose money and that's going to be a problem for you. So you have to succeed. That That's part of what makes a system work. And it's completely lacking in government. And what we're getting in Rhode Island now as the labor unions completely take over the state is exactly that. Well, you, you can't close a school. I don't care if there's one child getting an F in every subject in that school. You got to keep every single teacher employed. There can be no accountability whatsoever. And I think that's that's the real underlying message there. 
Folks, again, our segment of politics this week, he is Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com. Justin, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. I'll talk to you soon. All your oil needs, make it Henry Oil. Call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery. Call Henry Oil today. Fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery. It's Henry Oil, residential commercial fuel oil delivery since 1947. They also have budget plans, service contracts, lack, lock and cap pricing. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Serving most of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. We got a long way to go with winter. Make sure that tank is filled. Call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, a local family-run business since 1947 that you can depend on. For all your oil needs, call Henry Oil today, 401-521-0200. You're listening to The John DePietro Show, Brockton High School, Brockton, Massachusetts. How bad is it? The school committee, they want to call in the National Guard. They had a press briefing. School seems completely out of control. I did a TikTok. You can follow our account on TikTok, John DePietro Show. Or the John DePietro Show. Let's hear, uh, this is the TikTok on Brockton High School. Controversy, Brockton, Massachusetts. That's Brockton High School. How bad is the violence? Members of the school committee, they want the National Guard brought into Brockton to try to quell the violence. Teachers are afraid. Constant fights, open drug use. Some of the classrooms are used for sex. One teacher had his arm broken trying to break up a fight. Now... That's the Brockton police. How bad is the situation? Should they call in the National Guard? That's how bad the violence is. They also complain that people just go in and out of the school. There's no accountability. It certainly sounds like there's no learning going on either. But this is very dramatic that the school committee wants the governor, Governor Healy, governor of Massachusetts, there's Brockton, south of Boston, to call out the National Guard. Now, some parents complain that one of the problems is most of the teachers are white. 60% of the students are students of color, 20% Hispanic. Can you imagine how bad it is? The National Guard. Some parents don't even want police in the schools. In Brockton, Mass, they want the National Guard. What do you think? How would you feel if this was your school? What about if your children were attending the school? How severe would it be they have to call out the National Guard? Very serious situation at Brockton High School. Now listen, a lot of schools may have some various uh, disciplinary problems. This is another level when you have a situation where essentially the school committee, it's its that bad. The teachers don't want to go in. The subs don't want to. Who wants to be there? It's not safe. And when you hear about some of the, the stories of, of what's going on. And that is, in fact, so the Brockton School Committee requests the National Guard to try to quell the violence. But the more that you learn about it, that was a, a track coach. He was trying to break up a fight and he had his, <clears throat> he got his arm broken. So he just said, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to coach anymore. It's, it's not worth it. 
but you, um, several of the teachers, they have 3,500 students, and they just talk about how they fear for their safety. They're shoved, incredible disrespect. You know, these children don't have respect for the teachers because the parents don't have respect for the teachers. Now, some of the parents have said, well, you know, what do you see on the news is a bunch of uh, white student, white teachers crying, and then they show students that are black and brown. I mean, this is completely a total breakdown pathetic, but it's it's getting more and more. There are more adults. They don't have respect for anyone. They don't have respect for, in fact, uh, they don't have respect for certainly not police, but they don't have respect for anyone in essence and authority. And then it kind of, you know, falls down. The guard members, they say, could act as substitute teachers and hall monitors. So now they didn't take any questions during this press conference. Now, the mayor said, well, you know, that'd be up to Governor Healy. But the teachers are growing violence, misbehavior. Cliff Canavan's arm was broken, tried to break up a fight. He grew up in Brockton, graduated from Brockton High School, been a teacher for more than two decades, hasn't gone anywhere else. He wonders how much more he can take. So it was December 2022. His arm was broken, tried to break up a fight after school. He said it's only a matter of time that same day before someone gets, you know, seriously hurt or God forbid killed. So the conditions seemingly get worse. What also happens is fistfights that draw crowds, onlookers, open drug use, verbal harassment of faculty, and the kids go running down the hallway and they all stand around and film these fights 60 percent of the students are black 20 percent are hispanic so some parents say well there's only one narrative being heard so there's a lack of black educators and most of the teachers are white uh only 20 percent identify as african-american and so one of the uh, parents said, well, you know, the teachers are doing their best, but <clears throat> all you hear about and you see, we see one narrative. You see white female teachers crying, black and brown children fighting. Insanity. One school board at a school board meeting, Sherry Mazzoli, administrative assistant, recounted being swept up by a crowd of students rushing down a hallway to watch and record a fight. She was pushed into a locker wall, was stepped on before a boss was able to pull into a classroom. Unfortunately, staff now feels it's only a matter of time for someone dies in the hallway. And then uh, you should see the, the guy's, you know, he, his arm was broken. And I, I think it was, he was the female track coach. His arm was broken, trying to break up a fight between two you know, two girls on the track team, or I'm not exactly sure who was involved with the altercation. Now, they also, so he was trying to stop a girl from attacking a member of his track team, which he was the coach. Two bones fractured in his uh, forearm were shattered. He'll never regain full function of his arm. He decided to stop coaching. Now, they also cause problems at a lot of the surrounding businesses and communities because then when school gets out, it is, you know, I know there's like a fast food place around there. I mean, it is just total mayhem and bedlam. But Brockton's not that far, you know, obviously, um, from where it is, southeastern Mass. Kind of have Taunton, Raynham. And, but what's 
intriguing is the element of they're not talking about police they're saying the national guard that is a complete breakdown now what also should be pointed out that you don't hear anyone mention but a big problem here that a number of people that you know as this story is being discussed something that has to be part of the discussion meaning you you can't talk about this without also mentioning the fact that one of the problems that comes into play is in fact that it's the uh the part that it changed in 2012 hear me out we are in 2012 expulsion is now the last possible means of kicking and it takes it takes a lot to get someone or a student i should say to that level so that can't be ignored a huge part of the problem is that the kids can't get thrown out they cannot get expelled from school another problem you've heard i mean i've spoken with some school resource officers they say the worst behave are the 14 and 15 year olds because they don't want to be there anyway but it was the 2012 state law disciplinary measures makes exclusion from school a last resort so they say the state has tied our hands in terms of disciplining students if the kids know you can't toss them out it's going to be a rough time folks you're listening to the john DePietro show follow on the scene live stream that's our facebook live stream page you can go to the website dipetro.com there's a link there or on facebook just find the john DePietro show that's where we do the on the scene live stream follow all the action make sure you follow our facebook page you're listening to the john DePietro show attorney general peter norona um i find him to be very accessible and channel 12 is a nice segment they call it community focus it's short it's during the four o'clock news but kim kalunian um i think it's about a four minute segment but one of the people she had on was attorney general peter norona and i think if he's going to take the time to do it which he did then uh i want to play some of it he does talk about the latest with the ILO contract. wait times you took to x uh just last week and tweeted out a study that looked at federal data tracking er wait times listen to this rhode island and massachusetts were tied for the third highest wait time a median of about four hours what does this tell you and how do you fix the problem yeah what it tells me is that um we have a health care crisis here there are certain canaries in the coal mine, if you will, signals of that. I think those ER wait times are one of them. The inability to find a doctor, a mm. primary care physician. If you don't have one right now and you're trying to find one, very, very difficult. If we don't invest in our healthcare system, attract more providers to Rhode Island, and we can do that, part of it is raising our reimbursement rates, meaning raising the pay and raising the capacity of hospitals and their providers to take on new patients. If we don't fix that problem, don't recruit more people here uh, to, to work in healthcare, we're not going to solve this crisis, and it's only going to get worse. I want to shift gears to something else I mentioned in the intro here, childhood-led poisoning. People might think it ended decades ago, but hundreds of kids in Rhode Island under the age of six are testing positive for elevated lead levels in every their blood year. every single year. Mm -hmm. um, talk to me about this bill that the General Assembly approved last year, this yeah. uh, certification uh, or a lead certification registry for yeah. rental properties. This was something your office championed. Where does that stand? Yeah, it's not 
where it should be. So we have brought a lot of actions against landlords who haven't cleaned up lead paint, but we could do those cases 100 a year and we wouldn't solve the problem. Mm. We can solve lead poisoning in children. We can eliminate it the way Maryland do if we have this registry. What that registry requires is that anyone who's got a rental property has to get a certification that it's lead free. It's not difficult to do, and frankly, it's not difficult or expensive to clean up lead mm. on your property. What that does, it allows every parent the comfort of knowing when they sign the lease that they don't have to worry about lead poisoning. The General Assembly passed it last year. The problem is it has not been funded. Mm. So we still don't have that registry. And in the governor's budget this year, uh, it is funded, but only in part. So only pre-1978 properties, which doesn't get mm. to all of the problems that we face in, in rental properties, and it won't come online until next year. Mm. That means more and more kids this year and part of next year will continue to get lead poisoned. To me, that's not acceptable. We can do it now. We need the entire registry, the way it was passed, and envisioned by the General Assembly and signed by this governor last year. Without that, we can't solve lead poisoning in children, and frankly, Rhode Island uh, should uh, should really, we can, and should do a much better job in that So area. I imagine you're asking the General Assembly for more money in the Speaker's budget. Yeah, it's not down. a lot of money. We're mm. talking about short dollars. I okay. mean, $100,000, you know, uh, $200,000. We're not talking about a lot of money in the scheme of things, but think of the lives that we can change and the lives that we can save by doing it. All eyes have, of course, been on the Washington Bridge, but your mm. office is still busy prosecuting a criminal case that's connected to another massive RIDOT project. Right. We're talking about the 610 connector. Allegations here are that a Massachusetts-based construction firm immediate, um, illegally, I should say, used thousands of tons of contaminated soil as fill at that site. There was just a recent development in the case. Bring us up to speed. Yeah, so remember, what, what, what we allege in that case is that um, fill that, was, that does not meet our soil standards mm -hmm. was brought from Massachusetts and dumped out up there and used in the project. And then other uh, fill was moved from the new train station also mm. that didn't, shouldn't have been there. What the defendants tried to do was try to get our case dismissed. Uh, we won uh, that motion, so our case is going to move forward, as we always believed it should. And we're confident uh, when we get this case in front of a jury, the right result will come out for Rhode Islanders. Any timeline for when that may be resolved? And what yeah. does the right result look like, in your yeah. opinion? The, the right result looks like liability for the corporation, liability for the defendant we charged. You know, I wish I could, I could control timing. Mm. You know, the court system in Rhode Island has so many cases, mm. tends to move very slowly, but we're determined to get justice in that case. I have another timing question for sure. you, but this one might be easier for you to answer. The last time you were here, I asked you for an update on some of the cases that yep. you're still actively investigating, including the ILO mm -hmm. investigation. And you said, quote, we're hoping to land that plane by the end of the first quarter of this year. End of the first quarter is rapidly approaching. Yeah. Are we going to see the results of this investigation in the coming? weeks? I think so. You know, we have a couple of more interviews to do, frankly, okay. to, to wrap it up. Some of that timing is controlled by the people we want to interview. Mm. Will they uh, agree to an interview and, and how long their counsel takes to kind of get them with us and the mm -hmm. state police? But I anticipate this being done. Again, I'm hoping for the end of the first quarter. All right, Rhode Island Attorney General Peter Norna, that's all the time that we have today. Thanks for being here at 4. Thanks, Kim. Always good to be with you. All right, that's uh, Channel 12, uh, Kim Colonian. You know, it's interesting about that. <laughs> still trying to get interviews with people and their counsel make them available and the state police and again this is the investigation into governor mckee this was the contract that immediately uh was put into motion three years ago march april of 2021 and it became an investigation i believe that fall september
of 21. So do you see how long these things take? I don't understand, frankly, that there are still some people that will not sit down for interviews or their counsel won't allow them. I'm not sure what to make of that. Uh, everyone does, that was or is involved with this, they're either still working with Governor McKee, they were working with Governor McKee. It's not like they're somewhere on the lam. They're all basically in the general area. Uh, I think it's a bad look for the McKee administration that they're still having trouble trying to, you know, sit down with. I, I, I don't know what to make of that. I'll take the AG at his word, but that it's going on this long. And I, I'll come back to it. Governor McKee. I mean, if if there was nothing to it, you would think he would have just said, I want everybody going forward to cooperate, and then we'll just kind of put this to bed. That clearly has not happened. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. I like this article. Gen Z are treating employers like bad dates. Listen to this. 93% ghost interviews. 87% have not even shown up for their first day of work. Ghosting isn't just for dating anymore. Now Gen Z, Gen Z are treating their would-be employers like bad dates, not showing up for job interviews or their first day on the job without as much as a phone call. Employment website Indeed surveyed 1,500 businesses, 1,500 working people in the UK found job ghosting is rife. 75% of workers say they've ignored a prospective employer in the past year. But the younger, youngest generation of workers are by far the worst offenders. 93% of Gen Zers told the global recruitment platform that they flaked out of an interview. Worse still, a staggering 87% managed to charm their way through interviews, secure the job, sign the contract, only to leave the new boss stranded on the very first day. The reason for doing so, according to the survey, makes them feel in charge of their career. But it's having the opposite effect on businesses left high and dry. More than half of businesses surveyed have said that ghosting has made hiring more difficult. Businesses and millennials are at it too. Although Gen Z are the biggest culprits, baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials aren't off the hook. Indeed's data found everyone is guilty of ghosting occasionally. Almost half of those surveyed said they plan on pulling a disappearing act again with a third deeming, it's acceptable to do so before an interview. However, unlike Gen Z, who feels emboldened by blanking bosses, older workers say they instantly regret it. Millennials, for example, are most likely to feel anxious about ghosting, worried that ghosting will negatively impact future opportunities. What's more, while more than half of Gen Zers are repeat offenders, the research found that a candidate's likelihood to ghost again decreases with age. Even businesses are joining in. One in five workers complain a prospective employer has failed to show up for a phone interview. <laughs> While 23% have been provided with a verbal offer only to be left hanging. It's why workers today think that ghosting is fair game. More than half agree that since employers ghost job seekers, it's okay to do back. And perhaps surprisingly, over a third of companies agree the sentiment is reasonable. It's um, it's come a long way. I I hear from uh, small businesses, employers all the time that people don't show up for interviews, people accept the job, then don't show up. 
they just change their mind. I mean, the whole thing is just, um, it's not easy doing uh, business in 2024. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. I have to admit, I am intrigued by anyone in this day and age that still tries a bank robbery, uh, simply because the amount of security measures that are in place, it's very, very difficult. So one in custody attempted robbery outside of a Swansea bank, I believe Channel 12. Listen to this. They have uh, some of the details. And there was some thought certainly put into this. They have footage of uh, where this went. I want you to listen to this. 12 News reporter Alex Torres Perez joins us now live from Swansea, where all this started this afternoon. Alex? Mike and Shannon, in the last half hour, I was actually able to speak to one of the witnesses of this attempted robbery. She did not want to go on camera, but she told me she saw something and then wanted to help out the man who was... Uh, the suspects were trying to rob. Now, thankfully, they were all able to make it out okay. And though the crime scenes have since cleared, this investigation is far from over. A manhunt underway after Swansea police say two men tried to rob a person trying to use the drop box at Bay Coast Bank off Swansea Mall Drive. That driver resisting one of their passenger car windows even smashed out. It's still unclear if the suspects were able to take anything, but police say they used a U-Haul for their getaway vehicle. It didn't go far, though, after it was found a half mile away on Reed Street, unrecognizable after it was burned. Investigators even finding the van's doors on the roadside. State police canines were brought in as they try to figure out what caused the flames. The suspects were able to escape the fiery van after police say they took a gray Jeep, which was later found across state lines on 195 in Rhode Island. However, only one person was inside. A viewer video showing officers with their guns drawn approaching the Jeep. The police department's public relations company confirming it was the suspect. 12 News was there as officers took him into custody. His charges are still unclear. Swansea police and state investigators are now looking through the details of each scene, trying to get answers and trying to figure out where that second suspect may be. And we have not received any other updates on this investigation since that initial information update that we received this afternoon. We'll, of course, keep you updated as we learn more details both on air and online at WPRI.com. Reporting live in Swansea, Alex Torres-Perez, 12 News. You know, that when you think about it, I mean, obviously they were unsuccessful and the courier filed back. But look at the, you know, they, they torched the, the U-Haul. They had the switch car, the Jeep set up for that. They go to rob a courier. This is right midday, and the, the person, you know, smashes out the window and then fires at them. So one is still on the loose, and that remains to be seen exactly when they may be able to get that person in, in custody. So you wonder if, would they, what, are they watching the movie Heat or The Town? One in custody atop a robbery outside of a Swansea bank. I'm not sure enough about... Um, about that now you also had the situation a driver ran off the road car crashes down a Winsocket embankment this happened uh early this morning Cass Park not far from Landmark officers determined the car lost control hit a curb and the driver overcorrected hitting a utility pole in a wooden fence driver ran off left the car behind They've been unable to get in touch with the car's registered owner. Inside the car, what did police find? A wallet, credit cards, multiple different names, and Rhode Island Department of Corrections discharge ID. Sounds like someone just got out of the big house. 
While the driver's yet to be officially identified, a violation was issued for due to stop after causing damage to a highway. And when you can see the way it went out, uh, down the embankment, someone thought, okay, the best solution thing to do here is then just get out and make a break for it, which doesn't seem to make sense at all. So now let's also go to the uh, Winsocket story. They want to cut the uh, official salary of some of the uh, elected officials, city council, want to cut the salary, city planning development by 11,000, trying to push through that highly controversial uh, $1.1 million land deal. And it did embarrass the city. So let's pick up. This is the story from Gloria Channel 12. Planning and Development Director criticizing him for pushing through a controversial land deal. They say embarrassed the city. The ordinance would reduce Michael DeBroyce's salary by $11,000. Council members say the cut is warranted because he helped execute the land deal between former Mayor Lisa Baldelli Hunt and her former boss, Raymond Bork, without getting approval through the council. Target 12 was first to reveal the deal. The voice did not immediately respond to a request for comment. You know, that uh, Channel 12 piece, that really seemingly spill, um, spelled the end for the mayor, right? I mean, after that came out, she didn't, they then did a series of stories, especially saying she really didn't know the developer when that certainly was not the case and not true. Um, but I, I think... Uh, more people are realizing there needs to be better accountability for some of the public officials, whether it's the situation with the bridge or whether it's any of these decisions that are being made locally. I, uh, I hear on those that say we need more accountability from some of the people that are in positions of authority. And, and maybe that would make people think twice before they agree in some of their actions. Clearly, we need some more accountability with the situation with the bridge. I mean, that is ludicrous. There's no end in sight. And even now, people are saying, what's the latest on this? The latest could be that there may not be, they may not know what they're going to do with that until sometime in, you know, sometime next month in March. And then it's a matter of how they're going to unveil it to the public, meaning how are they going to break it to everyone, what they've, you know, what is the move? Now, I've heard that the bridge needs to come down. First, here's what I've heard. First, they need to stabilize it. Then they need to come up with a plan on having to build a new one. This easily turned into a three to five year project. It is, um, I mean, I think it's disqualifying for Governor McKee. And I also want to be very clear. He's been governor for three years. I know a lot of people want to try to blame uh, Gina Raimondo. Governor McKee, he took over in March of 21, three years. He, you know, you break it, you own it. He's responsible. And I can't see anyone giving him another term four years in office after this. Folks, you're listening to The John DePietro Show.